Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. Uh, before we crack into uh, another episode, I should mention that as this project has evolved beyond our internet personas, we've gotten a little bit of attention from some people in media, and they have suggested to us that we should start to use our real names as opposed to our internet identities. So this will be the first episode that we do that. So I would like to formally introduce myself as Michael Zolivari, and with me today I have Oliver Trevorwas. Uh, Trevorwas? <laughs> Did I get that right? Trevorwas. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll accept that. You'll accept that? Okay, <laughs> we'll we'll crack on. You had to. What? Uh, you got such a ridiculous name. Anyway, uh, we are here to do something a little different uh, for endurance chat. We are going to run a bit of a tutorial on aerodynamics in prototypes. Um, so, I've had an interest in uh, prototype aerodynamics for quite a while. Uh, ever since I found out what prototype racing was, and even further than that from F1. Um, but on top of that, uh, you, in fact, are... Okay, you say you're not an expert, but you've got a fair bit of experience working with aerodynamics, don't you? I have a, a, a limited amount of experience, but like you just said, that you have, I have also pretty strong interest in this field, which is why I'd want to get more experience in it um luckily i have i'm finishing up a six month placement in an aero department of the company i work for and hopefully i can keep going uh in future somewhere yep. um field yeah yeah so uh you've actually got a mechanics mechanical engineering degree focused around motorsport stuff or aerodynamic stuff as well it wasn't specifically motorsport there are there are quite a few in the uk that do motorsport um and i think that's growing but this was um basically a mechanical engineering degree um tailored to automotive applications okay yep um yeah and was aerodynamics a part of that yeah so as i went through i could pick and choose later on certain modules to do and for my master's thesis as well i was doing a bit um a cfd based project on um cycling helmets oh nice working with team sky the oh, oh really modeling the helmets they use and so we could then rank the thermal properties and um aero drag properties to make the best kit decision you know it's all about marginal gains yeah and, and marginal so, gains in grand yeah. tour cycling oh that's awesome i did not realize that i i feel like you've told me this at some point and i've completely forgotten it but that is actually quite cool that's quite a cool project uh did you end up finding something that added to those marginal gains um yeah so it was all about being able to rank the helmets in different scenarios and uh i think there were some good uh outcomes from that but it was also to generate a tool that is used um or could be used going forwards and um about a year after this there was a video put out by cask who's their helmet supplier and i think it was on their facebook page or something and i could see the aerodynamicist who i've recognized from a previous job he was the the screen was in the background sort of thing of the shot yeah and it was um quite a similar um method to what i was doing um just so what you're saying is further so what you're saying is you're part of the reason why team sky is team sky yeah i mean they should give me a yellow jersey uh, <laughs> signed by 
the whole squad. Yeah. So you're the problem with Grand Tour Cycling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's my fault. But no, it was it was interesting. And um, at the time, there were a few projects that were done by some students, like Wheelero, and um, but also structural things like the suspension, integrated suspension that was in Paris-Roubaix. Oh, nice. uh, For the cobblestones and stuff like that. That that, uh, was introduced uh, quite a long time ago, actually. Um, But there was uh, torsional stiffness issues. So there was quite a lot of waste energy. So you want it to be compliant in certain directions, but then stiff in others. And I think a bit of work on that and stuff like that, yeah. Cool. Awesome. So you've got a bit uh, a bit more of a background in this sort of stuff than I do. I do have a physics degree, which I did do a little bit of aerodynamics work, but the, the institution where I was at was more focused on uh, other areas of physics. So I think uh, mostly surface science and quantum mechanics. So I didn't actually get the opportunity to do a lot of uh, aerodynamic stuff, but I did try and pick a bit of that up uh, on my own. So we're, dry- we're kind of running this not quite as a Q&A, but I'll, I'll be pitching a few scenarios at Ollie and we'll try and work through what each part of a prototype, an ACO regulated prototype uh, will do in terms of aerodynamics. So firstly, for everyone in the audience, what is aerodynamics? So aerodynamics is the study of interaction of a, an object, like a solid body and a fluid. So in this case, air is a fluid. In yep. context of sports cars, uh, it's how a car moves through the air and uh, uh, how you can sort of use certain items on the car to create a benefit, either to reduce the drag of the vehicle or generate downforce. Yeah, and and of course, downforce is important to, to give you extra grip, right? Because if you have more downforce as part of the, in, in the car's design, it kind of offsets the, the, the amount of grip that you have available because more downforce, of course, means more grip and more you can uh, add torsional forces or lateral Gs to the car, right? Yeah, so there's quite, it's quite um, an awkward way, I think a lot of people describe it, saying like you, you, you have sort of a chassis grip and then an aero grip on top so mechanical grip yeah yeah that's the one yeah and and um it's quite clunky it's not like you have two separate grips that you're adding together it's 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 you have a tire that is contacting the ground and you're wanting to push this tire into the ground um and you're basically generating this down downward force we'll call it downforce obviously yeah without having the weight penalty the inertia of a heavy car, which yeah. would also push the, the tire down. Um, so we talk all about, you know, weight reduction in motorsport. If you imagine having a heavy car and a light car, you've got a heavy car. Each corner is going to have a lot more force pushing down on the contact patch to yep. the ground. So statically, the heavy car is going to have more grip yep. um, than the equivalent lighter car. But then if you want to accelerate it, you want to decelerate it in braking scenario, or you want to corner the car, then... Then you've got the problem of inertia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. then the light car is going to more readily change direction than a heavy car. So the ideal is you have a heavy... uh, You have a a light car, which you can change direction easier, but then you want to have the downforce, the weight of the car acting on the contact patch... So the way to do that is you're using the air to generate this kind of 
free weight. Awesome. Yeah, so that's kind of like the difference between having, say, uh, a Lotus Elise versus a Bugatti Veyron. Because a, lo- a, well, a Lotus Elise is less than a ton in weight, and corners like an absolute madman, whereas a Bugatti is a tank, right? It's got, what, a 1.8 ton or something? Ridiculous is the base weight of a Bugatti Veyron, and it looks I like trying, trying to corner... Closer to two. Closer to two. Yeah, so it's kind of like yeah, kind of like trying to navigate a barge around a tight channel opening. So yeah, so the downforce is kind of giving you that uh, added effort through the tires without having to worry about the inertia of trying to carry all that extra weight. So where where do you start to see a tipping point then? Where does it start to uh, so become where 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 do these aerofoils that we'll talk about a bit later start to have a m- much more obvious effect downforce is yep. um relative to the square of the speed of the vehicle as it moves along so the faster you go you're going to get more and more of an effect yep uh, of the downforce so yeah it's always going to be acting upon the vehicle you have cars that don't have that high top speed uh, like formula student cars uh, yep. that've got massive wings uh, and you know some people would argue they're not getting up to um, much of a, much of a speed, um, and then you've got up to the top end of um, you know Le Mans yep. spec race cars that have got a really high top speed. A lot of uh, downforce measurements are quoted in kilograms, which is quite awkward and clunky mm. in my opinion. It's 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 relatable to everyone because you know how much a kilogram is, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, compared to what is a count of drag or what is a count of downforce? What, yeah, you know? it's kind um, of a it's kind of a whimsical sort of unit. Uh, yeah, yeah. It should become a practice to say where at uh, what speed mm. the, um, that force in kilograms is is um, being uh, measured at. So I think generally a lot of people use sixty seven meters a second, which What's that like? Two hundred kph, I think. That sounds um, uh, awfully complicated, but yeah, two hundred kilometers per hour sounds about right. Because what? Thirty so, second, yeah. uh, thirty six meters per second is a hundred k's. So yeah, ish. Okay, ish. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so these it, there is a relationship between um, velocity and the the drag coefficient, which should kind of non dimensionalize it, but we're sort of you know in a range where we're pretty stable yeah cool so a lot of, so these numbers are reported about 200 k's um i know that whenever i'm watching v8 supercars coverage and they report downforce numbers they generally report it at about 200 kilometers per hour um and then this is the sort of idea where you get things like the Porsche 962 hung upside down in the Porsche uni- uh, Porsche Museum, rather, um, because famously they figured out that it had enough downforce to counteract the weight of the car running at top speed. So that's that's why they they do that. So why is it important in the context of motorsports that we have downforce uh, and and light cars? Because obviously. We've talked about inertia already. We've talked about the fact that you need effort to turn cars around corners, decelerate them, accelerate them. Uh, And then the way that we get rid of, or the way that we can get over that inertia but still have better cornering at higher speeds is through downforce, right? 
yeah so if you think of like two cars you've got one uh, and, the, and in this rule set sort of formula of these cars the engine regs are pretty locked in yep. so they're not gonna you're not gonna have one car with a lot more straight line performance then the main differentiator would be cornering yep. speed uh and also if you've got better downforce then better braking uh so you can overtake easier um mm, interesting and stuff like that yeah yeah cool so it all it, it all kind of melds in right because i think i think a good example of this is f1 at the moment because you've got a bunch of different cars which have similar engines right i mean the the red bull and the uh toro rosso both have honda engines and yet obviously the the red bull is a much better car and that's because of the chassis design the aerodynamics so when we're talking about aerodynamics and sports cars what sort of things do we need to consider uh because you know we could just load up all these cars uh, these cars with as much downforce as we could right but uh, why can't we do that is it can we do that how, how does this all sort of work you've got um relationships between downforce and drag uh drag penalty slows you down yeah um so drag is just so, the force acting against the motion of the car forward right yeah so if you took like like i mentioned earlier a formula student car let's say uh, these crazy pikes peak hill climb cars like the volkswagen idr they've got yep. massive wings so if you take them to the top speed of a car at, at the mom on the Mulsanne, you're gonna break something um <laughs> effectively um because it's basically some... like having a parachute hanging out the back of your car with the wings that big, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a you're going to have a, a lot of downforce too that you, you might be bottoming out the car. So oh, okay, yep. You, you might be hitting bump stops and stuff. So, for example, like cars that have active aero go, some of them, like, for example, McLaren Senna, it, it needs to go into DRS automatically at speed to stop the front suspension like bottoming out ah yeah of and course because because as you as you add downforce you're yeah you're pushing on the the suspension and the tires i'd never actually considered that before oh well, there you go i'm learning stuff already what how are we're already what, 10 minutes in and i'm learning stuff <laughs> yeah that's really interesting so so if you don't have strong enough componentry in the handling basis in terms of the the suspension and the tires and the shocks and how that's all set up you actually have to back off some of the downforce in order to make sure you're not breaking those components yeah and and you you're sometimes finding a compromise between top speed so you're not a sitting duck on the the straights yeah um in a race scenario to downforce and also when you're talking about um working with suspension there's some really trick suspension done in time attack right now and some in formula one and stuff like that where the car will sort of the suspension will sort of know that it's on a straight so then it will stiffen sort of thing Ooh, that sounds very complicated load at top speed (laughs) yeah um but you you need it to be soft for maintaining grip for cornering yep so you ideally you want you know for aero you want a really stable stiff platform which is why the active suspension in the 90s came along in f1 to to kind of force the car to maintain a certain attitude um so the underfloor could work perfectly throughout the whole corner so you don't get a lot of body roll and stuff yeah if you imagine like a really old car f1 car before the aero started coming in the rear end was really soft and i guess you could see it in drag cars as well drag, drag racing cars 
to get the acceleration and the grip out of corners or off the line. Yeah. With this, you want it to be really stiff. So it's a compromise there as well. Ah, cool. So so it's all a bit of playing into each other in terms of what each aero component does as well as what the the car does as a whole as the aero works with each of the components. And then remember, that's all dynamically changing at speed as well. This is really complicated stuff. I think I, I'm already feeling a little over in, in over my head here, but we'll see how we go. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so as we go through, we're gonna be talking. We're gonna be throwing around some aerodynamics terms, which might sound uh, a bit out of the blue. We're gonna be talking a bit about pressures. I'm guessing, um, like uh, sort of pressure wells, high pressure, low pressure, and how that sort of works around components. Um, I reckon I'm gonna throw the word vortex or, vo- or vortices at uh, Ollie once or twice. Um, and all that is is just a like a spinning column of air so if you've ever like run your hand through bath water or through a pool and see the way that the water spins around that that's that's a a vortex so in in terms of aerodynamics that's basically the same thing but coming off of a a wing or an aerofoil um and what other things do you think we're going to mention that other people might not have heard of that our audience might not have heard of gradients um so if you imagine a high pressure to and a, a low pressure reading. See, we're already mentioning pressure. Uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and you, and I'm linking it all together. And uh, so you've got, um, if you imagine in terms of like a slope, a hill, yep. you've got a high region at the top of the hill and a low region at the bottom of the hill. Yeah. And you've got a football, um, a soccer ball yep. on the top of the hill. And you've got the high pressure to the low pressure and think of it as like a uh, an air particle. And okay. It's then going to have the potential, i.e. if it's a real hill with gravity, to roll down the hill. But it's the same with pressure. So it's going to go from the high pressure to the low pressure. So you've got a gradient there. Yep. And um, and then if you've got a, a a steep gradient, like around the side of a uh, around the the edge of a an airfoil, you've got a high pressure side and a low pressure side. Okay, and then along the the edge, there's going to be a mixing, um, yeah, and that's going to generate a vortex. Yeah, so yeah, that's bring it all together. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, like much, much like much like mo- most things, pressure likes to move from high to low. So that's how weather systems work as well, if you're interested in meteorology and that sort of stuff. Okay, so now that we've done a little bit of background, a little bit of introduction, let's talk about our prototype. So we've got our hands on this year's Toyota TSO. We don't actually have our hands on a Toyota TSO, but we're using we're using a, a fake Le Mans prototype as our base. Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to go sort of front to back and talk about each of the aero components and how they work and how they sort of affect things um, throughout the car. We'll talk about each of them and then at the end I'll throw a few scenarios around and we'll sort of see how we might go about changing these or how these uh, aero settings or aero uh sections might affect how a car would perform in that so shall we crack into it we feeling we feeling ready let's go 
We're feeling ready? Okay, we'll start at the very front. So, uh, we'll talk about the front splitter. Um, so the front splitter area is basically the front facing area of the car. Um, in the current Le Mans prototypes, most of them seem to have the top plane, which is sort of where a bonnet would normally be, which kind of connects up to the cockpit, and then a bottom plane, which is where you've got, uh, between the wheel arches and then sort of funnels out through behind them. Um, so w- what does all that jazz kind of do uh, in terms of creating downforce at the front of the car? So, yeah, think of it as a, a, a flat horizontal piece of bodywork sticking out in front of the car. And then if you imagine like a normal car that you drive uh, on the street, it's going to have a high pressure buildup in front of the car. Yep. Um, and that's because and like air have... is just ramming up against it as it moves through. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so you've got this, this sort of vertical wall of the front of the car and the air kind of bump, ramming up against it. And, and that's going to create a high pressure yep. uh, region, like a, a area of high pressure in front of the car. And if you have a flat plate at the bottom of that, um, sticking out, you've got a surface area for this high pressure to act upon. And okay. uh, that then pushes. So um, think of it as, you know, you, you've got your hand spread across the plate and you're pushing it down. And now imagine all, loads of hands sort of thing. Oh, you know, nice. You've got lots of, you've got lots of air pushing down. And the okay. bigger the, the surface area, then, you know, you've got more Got more hands. Downforce. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. what you what you end up doing then is you're turning that high pressure from the act of the car moving forward through the air into something that is then pushing down at the front of the car. So you're kind of using it as a a, a bit of a yeah a, a bit of a an air brake, but pushing down. So you're generating front downforce from the motion of the car moving forward. Oh, interesting. So is that why that's then? Only half. Oh, is that only half? Okay. What's the rest yeah, of it? Yeah, that's only that's only half of the deal because then you've got the the underside working so you can get this panel to speed up the air underneath it and with uh, if you imagine like a sand timer side on okay um you've got air flowing at the um, one end and then you've got a contraction halfway through and then it expands up again oh nice Um, so imagine um at the inlet at one end and then at the contraction if we have an incompressible flow, which we'll assume, then you've got a mass flow conservation between those two points. So if you take a, a plane or a slice through there, going through that slice, slice at the inlet and slice at the contraction, the mass flow is going to be conserved. So as the, the um, flow is funneled through the contraction, it's going to speed up. And if a flow, the flow speeds up to, to have the same mass con- conservation, then the pressure is going to go down. Yep. Oh, and nice. So you imagine. Okay, so as you um, accelerate the air, it actually lowers the pressure. Correct. Yeah, oh. and you want to have um, low pressure under the vehicle because then that's going to the under the vehicle. You've got a big flat area to to for the pressure yep. to act upon. Nice. So so that's then what you call ground effect. Is that right? Um, it's a it's a bit of it. Yeah. So nice. if you can speed up the air under the under the car then you can generate uh, a low pressure under the under the splitter uh, and then the splitter is generating downforce um nice. and this also works 
in turn, like you mentioned with ground effect, if you have the proximity of a wing measured as it goes up and down closer to the ground, you can actually get more acceleration under the wing. It's kind of like funneled by the ground, uh, to put it super simply. And you get this extra contraction uh, compared to a, a wing just in free space with no ground. Um, oh. Now, you've got to be careful because if you get too close, it's like flying too close to the sun sort yep. of thing. And this downforce drops off significantly, dramatically. So you still need to be conservative with your with your proximity to the ground. Uh, it's not like a an air dam scenario where you want to um, block the air under the car like in NASCAR. It's, yep. it's different. Oh, one okay. airflow under the car. So, so is that why you kind of have um, on the modern prototypes and even the modern GT cars a kind of increase in uh, the splitter height uh, as as it goes more towards the center? So I think, for example, the Ferraris kind of have a bit of a... Um, a, a, it looks like a little bit of a mouth that kind of comes up. Is that is that the sort of reason behind that? Because you want to encourage air underneath the splitter to to funnel it underneath the car as opposed to blocking the air out. Yeah, so that's that's um more down to what's happening later on. Okay, down under the car that I think we'll cover we'll... later. But but yes, um you you do want this acceleration under the car. Yep. Um and if you have a higher mass flow going in, then you have more to work with sort of thing. Okay, yeah. Cool. That's already already we're getting some we're getting deep into this sort of stuff. Uh, so then, there, it's not just the splitter at the front of the car as well. Especially on a prototype, you've got the wheels and the wheel arches, um, which are quite tall in comparison to uh, to say a conventional car. So if we look at a GT car, for example, the the wheel arches are entirely encased. Uh, in the bodywork, like you, ma- you might have a little bit of a bulge, maybe around the Porsches or something, where the headlight kind of comes out. But I've noticed in the modern prototypes, the the I I, I tend to call them bug-eyed. It looks like the the wheel arch is always tends to be very forward and very straight. Um, so it doesn't actually kind of taper like you would expect, say, a road car to. Is there any particular reason why you have that in, in the splitter, or is that more to do with what we're going to talk about a little later on? I might be pr- I might be pushing it a little too far forward here. Well, um, yeah, I can comment on that a, a bit cynically, but um, <laughs> uh, GT cars are constrained by the road cars that they are based upon. Yep, and those road cars are determined by styling departments. Fair enough. And prototypes aren't. So yep. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll let that one go then. Um, another one on the splitter, uh, another component that we've seen as a lot in more recent years, I feel, is the addition of dive planes on the front. So the dive planes are the little aerodynamic, uh, they're, they're like little notches basically on the, on the front of the car, which, uh, they, they look like little scoops. Um, and oftentimes if there's ever any contact at the front of a rear of a car, you can sort of see them hanging off and, fl- uh, flipping about. Um, they look to me, uh, pretty much like they're trying to emulate, say like an F1 front wing or that kind of shape where it's that, that scooped aerofoil shape, which is trying to, uh, use, it's like, a, it's like an upside down plane is what it reminds me of. 
And like an aeroplane wing, yeah. These are just little flat pieces of carbon or aluminium just jutting out forwards from bodywork, the front of the car. Um, They do a little bit of work for generating downforce. So what they're mainly about is balance. Okay. Um, So balance is really, really, really important. It's like having a static car where you've got weight distribution. So if you think of it as weight distribution, but then that's happening at speed. So you've got the static car with the wheel weights on scales, sets of scales under each tire. But then think of it at speed and how this weight distribution changes uh, depending on your balance. So you might have a car that's got a a 50-50 weight distribution at at zero um, miles an hour. But then you go up to speed and the balance is so rearward because it's got a massive rear wing. Okay, yep. At speed, the rear tires are going to have a lot more load than the front tires. Yeah, so you so, end up with high speed understeer. So you, you can't like yeah, take corners exactly. like pull on very well because the car just wants to go forward. Yeah, and and you know, for Americans, we'll call it push as well. Yeah. And, um, and so if you have uh, a balance as close to center as possible, then you're going to have a neutral steering through the the speed range um but then if you've got the center of pressure as we'll call it which is kind of the equivalent to center of gravity um when we think about um static center of uh, or center of mass when we're talking about static balance um if you have that in front then it could be really in front of the center of mass then it could be really unstable at speed um so you want to have the center of pressure behind the center of mass but as close to it as possible for balance so when i'm talking about having it behind think of an arrow or a dart um yep. and it's going to have the fletchings or the the, the feathers behind yep. it at the back or or think of it as a parachute okay um, and this is to move the center of pressure rearwards to aid with stability so it's going if you if you input a side um force like you you make it angle the wrong way to the direction of travel um it will then recenter itself towards ah okay uh, direction of travel ah cool i so so the the dive planes then that sensitive does it make the car that sensitive so if you have the dive planes uh not quite set right or they're uh they get knocked off can you as in a person who understands aerodynamics or even of getting the impression from a driver is it that much of a uh, a difference do you know it's just a it's it's a tuning device okay um if you if you need a little bit of extra downforce and you don't have them then how are you going to do that you're going to adjust the rear wing angle yeah and then if but you then, do that it's going to increase push then yeah you're going to you're going to shift the center of pressure rearward so then to counteract that you then need to add a bit extra to the front how do you do that it's simple um but they're 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 quite tricky because you're adding something above the splitter with the high pressure bubble that we talked about in front of the car and so what you're doing is then you're putting imagine it as a wing above that the underside of that wing is going to have a low pressure which is then going to be fighting against the high pressure of the top surface of the splitter so you're going to sacrifice a bit of splitter performance so it's less efficient 
Oh, than, okay. I guess if you had like a wing on a massive support sitting in front um, above the nose of the car, or if you extended the width of the splitter outwards, like you see in time attack cars, yeah, you've got like a kind of hammerhead shark yeah, 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 looking yeah. thing. So ideally, if you can get away with not using dive planes, then that's good. But a lot of the time with um, kind of fixed homologation of sports cars, it's kind of one of the few things you can do. Yeah. Um, you're allowed to do so yeah because i noticed that whack a massive plate on it yeah because i noticed that depending on uh higher down for a uh, low down force tracks there will uh, sometimes you'll see uh a, a different spread of dive planes or one dive plane or three dive planes or one really big one so i think at le mans i've seen teams use one slightly larger one as opposed to two or three smaller ones at some other tracks so okay yeah so it's it's trying to strike a balance between using the splitter efficiency versus getting the overall balance of the car or the overall pressure balance of the car right is how you have the dive planes in yeah and and you know when you're talking in context with the higher speed or higher downforce tracks and stuff like that if you then are removing dive planes then to get the same balance then you, you're taking off rear wing angle of attack yeah to maintain the balance so then you are having an overall lower drag vehicle yeah. Um, so it's not just reducing drag of removing the dive planes. It's also working in tandem with what's happening at the rear of the car and they're working together sort of thing. Yeah. So it's all one big, complex, messy machine that all ties into each other. Now now I'm starting to gain an, a whole new level of respect for people who design cars like Adrian Ewey at all, who are able to do this and get it to work more often than not. It's It's really an art form, isn't it? Yeah, and then the really complicated or, or detailed thing is what happens with the vortices from the splitter and the dive planes. So what you've got with the splitter, um, if we quickly touch back on that, because yep. there was something I missed, um, <laughs> is when you when you have a ground effect with the splitter running close to the ground, you're going to have this vortex spilling from the top surface around the outer edge to the lower surface. Yep. And that's going to... You can use this vortex core to then seal the underside of the splitter from the higher pressure outside um, and around it. So this works uh, better as you get closer and closer to the ground because then it can seal better. So um, so when you say seal, how, how do you... Seal, how do you mean seal? So it's a kind of barrier... Um, so okay, so the the vortex acts as a barrier, so it prevents air from outside of the splitter washing back in underneath. Yeah, so you've got the gradient yep. of 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 air around the splitter compared to the air underneath it. Yep, and air wants to get underneath it because it's a low, a nice low pressure area. So if you can use this mechanism, um, you can then make the the splitter work better, uh, and it's you know, a, a more efficient way to do it using the ground um, to its best uh, ability. And and the best way to, to look at this, if you have a, a car front on um, and you look at the splitter and you might be able to have a, a view from low down close to the ground, you're going to see like a semicircle cut out in the, in the splitter right at the end. Okay. And yep. that's going to be like a little channel um, for the vortex to spin in. Um, oh. So you can have a consistent, you can have a consistent vortex position that you can kind of design for, design with, 
And so you're going to have a little vortex spinning in there. Um, and that's going to help seal the floor. Nice. Yeah. That is that is like some next level stuff. Cool. I I thought that the this run sheet that we had planned, I would get most of it, but that's absolutely something I've never even heard of before, and I'm loving it. We're learning new stuff here. So, <laughs> I think I've got a screenshot that I can. Uh... There you go. What will so, we um... do? Ah, oh, yes, I know exactly what you mean now. Nice. Yep. So it's like a little, it's like a little tuning vein on the outside of the splitter. Is it, yeah. yeah it's, it, think of like a um, a Pringles can. Yep. Um, they aren't a sponsor, unfortunately. Um, and you cut it down, top down. Yep. Um, and you're going to have a, a semicircle sort of thing. You have that semicircle with the flat side at the bottom and the curved side on the top. And um, that kind of tube, half tube, is where the vortex sits. Nice. And yeah, so it, it's kind of using these vortices that are also spilling off the dive planes, maybe to work to help. Um, evacuate pressure from the the wheel well and stuff like that. Yep, um, and yeah, and it's the quite wh- interesting things. Yeah, it, it it it's all it all looks very complicated. It it kind of makes sense now why you have like F one style front wings with like eleventy billion elements on them, but they're all doing something very small to control something very specific as it as all that air spills off of the wing. Nice. Oh, yeah. I'm learning new stuff. I'd never never realized that before. That's terrifying. <laughs> so we'll move a bit further down the car. Um, and the next thing I wanted to talk about was the big honking holes. So for those who maybe aren't aware or haven't heard that terminology before, they the big honking holes are the big slots that sit above the front and rear wheels. I think on the modern prototypes, they sit uh, more inboard of the rear wheels, at least on the P2s. Um, and they... They're, they're literally just holes in the chassis. Uh, so from a from an aerodynamics point of view, that's not what you want, right? They are... they. You can use them to actually shift the balance forwards. Um, yeah. But because... we, yeah, you've said that, but, but we've just talked about sealing the front area of the car and trying to control all this air. If you've got a hole in, in the bodywork, doesn't that completely disrupt things doesn't that just cause vortex shedding and uh uncontrolled air motion as it passes over that section doesn't it cause a big low pressure system but before these were in the regulations um and you see this in cars that don't have sort sort of regulations you do have means to reduce the pressure inside the wheel wells and evacuate air from it so this is all down to front diffuser performance okay that's like in the splitter under the splitter that then funnels air into the wheel arch so you've got a bit of the splitter that then feeds the wheel arch that's messy and you've got a kind of 90 degree bend if you don't do anything there so you've got the flat floor and then the vertical bit of the wheel arch yeah so okay if you can blend that curve um you can create like an upward slope and this can then like we talked about with the the sand timer is then you've got the contraction then expanding to the wheel well okay so it's kind of the second half of the sand timer yep yep and with the conservation then you're increasing the pressure yeah um but wouldn't it wouldn't it, so then you wouldn't it make more sense to have that area sealed in and then have that sort of channeled further down the car why do we, why do we have the holes on the top um so yeah then then it comes into the the kind of safety 
uh, aspect. Yep. So um, I guess that's kind of the whole point of them in terms of the regulations. So in the past, um, there have been some pretty horrific accidents with cars losing control and going sideways. And these are really lightweight and quite a lot of stuff going up, quite a lot of bodywork yep. to generate lift upon. Um, and as it's going sideways, you're kind of like we were talking about with the flat bumper, uh, you're ramming air onto the side of the car and some of the air is going into the wheel wells um, yep. and you're building up loads of pressure in those wheel wells and the upper surfaces of those wheel wells are a nice flat piece of area, surface area for this high pressure to push upwards. Ah, so you go, from, also got, you go from generating yeah. downforce to generating lift under the front of the car then. Yeah, and yep. so this whole wheel well area, surface area, is lifting the car off the ground. And then you've also got the, the fenders going sideways um, as a also a nice flat upper surface to generate lift from too. So you're not only disrupting the surface area uh, on the top surface, but also on the bottom surface by just cutting through both of them and joining them together. Um, and also it's down to venting this pressure so there wouldn't be a pressure build or there would be less of a pressure build up anyway. So it's kind of two birds with one stone. Okay, cool. So yeah, you've mentioned uh, the, some of the, the major accidents that we've seen in the past. I think the two that immediately come to mind are very famous uh, in, ter- in terms of uh, endurance racing. And I think the one that most people would know about straight away off the top of their head is uh, Peter Dombrecht's flip in the Mercedes... CLR is that the right car? CLR three hundred? Yeah. Just CLR GTR LM yeah. whatever. That one. Um in nineteen ninety eight where he was following a Toyota GT one coming down towards Indianapolis, uh nicked one of the curbs on the kink and flipped it into an open paddock. Uh, luckily an open paddock and landed on all four wheels. Um, and then another one that would come to mind is the same, a, a similar thing happening to Bill Orblin at uh, Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta, uh, coming up the crest on the back straight. Uh, the front of the car had just lifted off. It did a full pirouette in um, in the air. This is a, a Porsche 911 GT1 uh, in, I think that was in 1998 or 99? A BMW. A BMW? Are you sure? I feel like yeah. it's a Porsche. He's a BMW, man. It's true, but it was a long time ago. Remember, Alan McNish is an Audi man, but he also raced that Porsche. Either way, a similar sort of thing happened. Front got a little bit of air under it, lifted up, carted a barrel roll, landed on all four wheels, and everyone was very freaked out, but luckily unhurt. So so is that that's, I think, the safety aspect of having that venting at the top of the wheels is is why we have them mandated now, then it's compulsory to have them in the prototypes now. Um, but what does that mean for the splitter? I think I mentioned before the sort of bug-eyed look. Does that have an, an effect, like lengthening that front uh, aero foil towards the headlights, that the, the shape of the bumper to just kind of make that more consistent, more flat? Is that is that well, am yeah. I on the right track? If you if you look at um, side on view of like a, an old sports car from eighties nineties whatever, it's going to have a really nice smooth upward slope connecting. What is it? Let's think of a nine six two or whatever. Yep. Um, you you're going to have a really nice 
consistent, smooth slope coming from the splitter up um, towards the cockpit over the over the wheels. Yeah. If you add a massive hole that, like you said earlier, is going to create loads of turbulence, whatever, it's going to have a horrible wake. You don't want air. You don't want to push air that way. So yep. by having a, a kind of vertical wall um, as the headlight um, area, then you can divert the air either side, and then you're not funneling air up over the top of the fender. Ah, oh, cool! Into that hole. Nice. So, so you, what? You, yeah. So you end up instead of pushing the air over the top of the car, which would have been very nice, which would be ideal for downforce and reducing drag. You're actually pushing it around, so it's kind of going inboard towards the cockpit and then outboard towards the sides of the car. Yeah. So if you think of like a football or a sphere going yep. through the air, you've got this stagnation point, which is kind of like the point at which the air splits direction. Yep. And goes either side. Or up and down, kind of thing, because it's a sphere. It's a sphere, yeah. Um, if you kind of create a bulge and you move that upwards, you're going to move the stagnation point with it. Yep. So a good example of this is the Rebellion headlights or the SMP headlights at Le Mans this year, where you got this kind of weird bulge that kind of sticks out at a weird angle in the front. Ah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Of each fender. That's to do with, in my opinion playing around with the stagnation point so you can kind of choose where which which way the air goes either side of or up or or down um of that area um and so if you kind of create a uh from the side view a kind of flat vertical wall headlamp yep yeah then then you can kind of push the air around the sides more than up over the top than you would with a sphere Nice. So I'm gu- I'm guessing what you end up with if you look at uh, try to make a like a pressure map of the front end is you kind of have a really high pressure on that front surface, which is sort of what you would call the bonnet of a conventional car, and an extremely high pressure on the uh, the headlights, and then as you kind of move through the air, the air- the air is being forced around the the headlights through the splitter and then out through the wheel wells as well so you kind of end up with like uh, a rooster tail of air going through the wheel wells as the the rest of that front area is kind of forced around am i getting in sort of in the right direction yeah it's it's super 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 difficult to be like visualize yeah. so like i i sympathize with um you and people trying to imagine at home listening along <laughs> We, we might have to put a slideshow together. It's like, listen to this episode with a slideshow. <laughs> and and if you do have, um, if you want to look more into this with something visual, um, there's a really good YouTube channel that unfortunately doesn't upload videos anymore, but he does loads of sketches and stuff on a whiteboard um, and uses pictures. Um, I think he's called Kyle Engineers. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, he's Australian. Um, <laughs> and uh, But we, we'll have to live with it. Um, Sounds like a top bloke. And yeah, exactly. Uh, I think he still works in F1 now. Um, oh, cool. That's the reason why he cancelled or, or stopped making YouTube videos. But I think it was something way back in like 2015 or something that got me really interested um, in this kind of stuff. Cool. And so please uh, go and have a look at that if you find... Um, if you find if you, that we're just talking gobbledygook, yeah. If you're stuck on, if you're stuck on something, um, I mean, I'm trying to explain 
and break it down but sometimes that fails me so yeah it please, is hard it is uh, it is hard to translate and also hard to visualize i'm having i'm having a little trouble as well uh but we'll crack on so as as the car moves through the air um uh, firstly firstly a question uh how much does the air that moves around this front area actually stick to the car is there a kind of like uh flowing effect so as the car moves through the air the air kind of wants to stick to the chassis or stick so, to the bodywork yeah so if you think of like an air molecule on the bodywork surface the bodywork surface has got friction oh yeah of course so so it's going to stick sort of thing to the bodywork that to that surface so you've got a, a sort of frictional effect and you've got this energy loss uh, right close to the wall but then you've also got the if you think about uh, another particle next to that up from the, the wall so you're getting a bit further away from the wall then you're going to have a frictional effect between those air particles yeah and that's going to cast that's going to keep going up and up and up and up as you get further away from the bodywork so it's so, like a it's like a bunch of people moving in a crowd and some person standing against the wall and then as you as you try to move through like a hallway or something as you get close to the wall you kind of have to slow down because all the people are right next to the wall so you it's kind of like a weird yeah you, and you, you think of it as like you know a massive motorway as well you've got mm. a slow lane to the side and then towards the middle you've got you know a, a, maybe a, a um a faster lane and yeah. you kind of got this this gradual cascade of of um speeds or energies and so this is what we call with a, a boundary layer so yep. as you get closer to the boundary from free stream from miles away then you're going to get this slow down effect sort of yep. thing cool so so that does that mean you get a kind of a pocket of, of air around the bodywork that kind of sticks um to the bodywork and well, kind of will run across think of it is is kind of you know really 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 close to the about to the yeah. boundary okay. that, it, that it sticks yep. so you, you you get it quickly goes to the the energy loss is only really really close okay and yep. then if you have like maybe um something that's like sandpaper then you're more likely to trip the air than a nice smooth surface yep um so then you're going to have different boundary layer Effects, heights yeah. and yeah yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, because I mean, you don't make cars out of sandpaper because you don't want to. You want to have that smooth sort of surface on it as well, don't you? Yeah, yep. and and another thing that comes down to this is, and it's kind of down to design of aerodynamic parts, is you you want to have a a, a consistent curvature. So if you have like a, a, an angle, a bend to your panel, that's going to be something that will trip trip the airflow. Yeah. So you want a really consistent curvature um, rate. So you think about the rate of change of the angle of the surface, yep. that sort of thing. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're gradually growing or reducing the boundary layer thickness sort of thing as gently as possible. Um, because if you, Im- you, if you kind of add a, an input of a, of a, a steep gradient change of a panel, then you're going to trip the airflow and that boundary layer is going to, yeah get disrupted so so it's kind of yeah so it's kind of the difference between having like a a curved surface like the inside of a wave for example versus having a straight edge like hard angle like a wall meeting pavement that's the kind of difference we're talking about here right yeah Yeah. and the the way uh, that we do it um 
at work is you've got, if you imagine like an aerofoil uh, slice through it, and then you kind of project out from that surface loads of spines. It's called porcupine analysis. Ah, nice, yeah. And and the kind of magnitude, the length of that spine is like the rate of, of curvature yep. sort of thing. And so if you have a step in those spines, then you can have a discontinuity in that surface and that might trip the flow. So you want to have a really nice continuously yep. changing or constant, but you don't want to step in, yep, yep. in curvature. Nice. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. So as the air kind of flows around that front area, we start to get more into the bulk of the car. So we've got we've gone past that front aerofoil area, the splitter area, the big honking holes, now through to the cockpit and then through the machinery of the car. So the engine, the transmission, uh, and that sort of stuff. And that's all encased in the chassis. And that's still a very important area aerodynamically not so much for the the drag and downforce it creates um but it's important to direct the air into the correct places for cooling um because if you don't have adequate cooling you end up with reliability problems uh so how do how do you end up getting the air that you're passing through at 200 340 kilometers per hour on the Mulsanne straight into the right spots to cool the cars effectively. So you can use these sorts of vortices that we've mentioned earlier upstream and use them to kind of help guide um, clean air into certain areas. Okay. Or you can just position duct inlets in certain areas yep. that have clean, you know, nice clean air with a lot of energy that can take the heat away with sort of thing. Yeah. So generally things you want cooled, things that are hot, so engine with the coolant, but also the oil transmission that might share the same oil, might have a different oil circuit. Um, same with if it's a turbo car, you've got oil in the turbo. Um, yep. You've got things like the brakes to cool. Um, electronic systems, they have to, they're not allowed to have uh, cooling fans like your general PC would because um, you're not allowed movable aerodynamic devices ah yeah um, and um also with lmp1 you got hybrid drive systems so you've got like inverters and motor control units and things um the, the motors themselves might need a bit of cooling um battery systems as well they can get hot yeah and and maybe even if they have a wet clutch what the clutch is sitting in would need to be cooled because yeah. it's you know it's wearing so it gets hot yeah so I'm looking, I've just done a quick Google Rooney, and I'm having a look at pictures of the Porsche 919 side pods. And what I'm mm-hmm. noticing here is that uh, the side pod inlets actually start very early, a lot earlier than I expected. So they're literally just behind the doors. So is is are you capable of using air from the the front of the car, like through the splitter and through that area of the car, then rerouting it into the side pods, like through um, through the, as you were mentioning, the vortices? Is that something that is taken into consideration? Yeah, so a lot of cars, a good example is the Ligier LMP2. It's okay. quite a high nose. And so you can kind of get this air through the car, through the high nose, in between the wheels, uh, in between the fenders 
and under the nose and get that into the side pods. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you don't have from the front view, then you can't really see any in inlets yep. at all other than the engine air inlet. So it's quite a, a nice hidden design sort of thing. Um, even though when you, you like you're saying, finding a good picture, they're pretty clear to see. But from the front on, they're pretty hidden. Mm. It actually looks quite elegant. Uh, it, it kind of makes a bit more sense as to why you make these design choices that might look kind of ugly at first glance. Like, for example, the the Audi uh, R18, when they moved from their initial design to the one that had the more F1-style front nose, which was very front and very forward. Uh, yeah, it makes, makes sense then that you'd use that underside area um, on top of the splitter to then flow the air through into the the components of the car. That's very interesting. So are there any other inlets that you can think of that you could be located on the car? Um, yeah, so brakes um, brakes are cooled generally in sports cars with little holes in the fenders yep. or on the nose. And this will just um, be a tube running through inside the car, hidden away. So if the... the let's say the fr- removable front end piece of an LMP2 or LMP1 is removed in the pit lane, uh, in the garage, you can see generally like an orange tube. Um, oh, yeah. Flex, flexi hose sort of thing. And that will kind of account for wheel rotation. Huh, um, interesting. So is, it, so is it just that simple? It's not It's not super heavily uh, shaped and sculpted to be perfect. It is just like a tube from a hidden away hole in the front of the car. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's just... To, uh, you know it's super low tech but it allows the to have a, a sealed duct that's flexible for wheel um steering um, huh. and yeah funnily enough they're affectionately known as donkey dicks in the industry <laughs> <laughs> oh that's brilliant i'm keeping that one amazing oh fantastic <laughs> jeez oh okay um so moving on from that uh, how do you go about designing these sort of inlets for a car? Because of course, it's it's not going to be the same when it's in motion, right? So when when you've got a car in uh, a stationary, it's all good to say, "Oh, we'll put a hole here and a hole here, and it'll work fine." But when when the car's in motion, how do you then go from translating the the stationary thing into something that gets sufficient enough cooling to be able to operate properly? Yeah, a lot of this is down to designing it at speed so like i mentioned before you can't even put a fan on a, a radiator like you would normally in a road car because that counts also as a movable aerodynamic device and this is kind of why you see leaf blowers getting air through like formula one cars when they come into the pits in qualifying or yeah. something um or if they retire they get leaf blowers on there straight away because the worst some of the worst time that a car has uh, thermally is like a coast down or a or a stop, it's still hot. Everything's still hot in there, but you don't have the airflow to cool it down. Yeah, take the energy out. So, so you end up with like a heat soak, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Heat soak, and um, so that's why generally you'd see these kind of leaf blowers to simulate or effectively create airflow through or over the car. And if you design it at speed, you've you've got this relationship between duct inlet size, let's say, and the drag. Um, so you want to contract the the cooling inlets as much as possible, but retain the cooling performance. So okay. even you'll see 
tape on brake cooling ducts yeah. is a perfect example. You've got you want to maintain the brakes temperature, but you also have a, a drag relationship as yeah. well. And so you want to have a relationship between the, the cooling circuits, if it's like a fluid or an oil cooler, you want to have that at a target set temperature because you don't want it too cold. Yeah. Um, but you also don't want to have the inlet too big and the and the radiator too big because then there's going to be a lot of drag. Mm. So it all becomes a very, a very fine balance of hitting the right numbers with as minimal amount of drag and inlet size, etc. as you can get. Yeah. And to relate this to like F1 again, I'm sorry. Um, the the not that's um, it. You're out. <laughs> um, the one thing to think of is if you think about the Mercedes, it's really good at leading, and it's really good at setting a quick qualifying time. Yep. So maybe I was having a chat with someone at work. Maybe it's down to kind of reducing the safety factor of cooling and contracting all of the side pods and inlets and everything so that it's designed for clean air and it can't follow. So if they can get pole position by taking riskier setup, more risky than anyone else, then they can get pole position and run in clean air if they can get through turn one easily. Whereas if they're then following, they're then ingesting all the hot air and they're kind of running on a fine line anyway without following another car yeah and so you so you end up getting to a point where because the component tree is overheating that their performance starts to drop yeah and they have to maybe be a bit more conservative so this isn't you know saying that is the case but it's kind of easy more relatable way of thinking about nice cool so so you end up having yeah as i said this really really tight relationship between getting the right amount of cooling for the minimum amount of drag and aperture size and that sort of stuff because i'm i'm expecting that any sort of air that ends up flowing into these sections no matter what the gradient you're always going to have these turbulent boundary layers and then you've got to vent that somewhere as well and you end up with uh, a lot of turbulent air that's not doing anything useful from an aerodynamic standpoint that you can't uh, effectively use in like to to use the the pressure analogies you can't effectively uh, get the gradient right to be useful because because I I'm like I'm not a car designer so I don't know but I don't think that you could get like for example the air running into the side pods and through the engine inlet in the top into a a fashion where they are starting to produce low pressure. And even if you could, I don't think you could ever get it into a way that's useful. I mean, I'm guessing someone has, and these are the optimum designs to do that and to cool the car, but it doesn't seem like an easy solving uh, problem to solve at all. Yeah. It, it, there's a lot of work done, <laughs> you know, this relationship between cooling uh, performance and drag. And it's, you know, it's quite difficult because it comes into working with other departments as well you know you've got all of the departments that make something that gets hot and it all has to feed back into this kind of overarching aerothermal design and it it, yeah it impacts everything because you know the 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 cooling exits behind a sports car is above the diffuser and like in the the there's the the diffuser and then a gap to the top deck of the bodywork, yeah. the, the engine cover, and that's the kind of outlet ah. that the radiator hot air nice. um, exhaust through. 
um, and also the low pressure behind the car helps pull the air through the radiators. So that's why you have the outlet behind the car. Nice. Uh, We'll talk a bit bit more about that when we talk about the diffuser, but that seems a very elegant solution that I hadn't actually thought of. That's that's very nice. Um, We'll move Hmm. a bit... uh, Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just agreeing. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We'll move a bit further down the car. The next thing that I think a lot of people have a bit of question about, which isn't necessarily an aero device used for performance, but another one that might be more regarding safety is the shark fin. So the shark fin, of course, is the straight bodywork piece that is uh, parallel to the side, the direction of travel. And it's... Yeah, it's become a very popular piece uh, over the last few years. I think it's mandated on prototypes now, and they have a reduced one in F1 uh, over the engine cover. It's it's yeah, it's that piece of carbon that's directly down the line of the car over the engine cover. Um, now that can't give you any performance advantage at all, can it? In comparison to to not having it, um, there are some arguments that people have made that there's a vortex. Um, when you're cornering, your car is going to be a slight angle to the air. Okay, uh, that's yeah, called a yaw angle. Yep, yep. And th- you're gonna if you if you if you've got this kind of slab of, of bodywork slightly side on to the air, you're going to have a pressure differential either side of it, and then therefore the top edge you're going to have a vortex. And there are some arguments that that hitting the rear wing or whatever interacting with the rear wing, then you might be able to get a performance benefit. But that's <laughs> quite complicated yeah i i guess i guess yes but uh, again this is kind of treading into marginal gains territory it's because to me it kind of sounds like trying to turn a boat and having the air kind of move along the side of the boat and then having like a a a, a rudder it, it's basically a fixed rudder is is the kind of feeling that i'm getting from it in yeah. terms of and just like with the 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 fletching to the arrow that we talked about earlier it's it's there is a performance benefit if you need it to remove uh, to move rather the center of pressure rearward for yep. this kind of stabil- stabilizing effect so if you're like i mentioned having a slip angle or your angle in cornering it's going to add a side force that will help straighten the vehicle oh cool. so yeah so it will kind of return the vehicle to straight or at least apply a little bit of a force to help do that. Yeah. So when you get a car on, uh, as a follow-on to that point, what happens when you get a car fully sideways? Because I feel like this is the reason that they have the 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 shark fin. It's more for a situation where you get a car completely fully sideways. What is this shark fin doing in that situation? Yeah, so there have been, unfortunately, some horrible accidents again with cars going sideways and lifting off and this is due to the pressure above and below the vehicle and you don't want low pressure above the vehicle because it's going to kind of pull and lift up your car off the ground and once it starts doing that you're going to then tilt the car or rotate it along its center line and you the underfloor is a big slab of bodywork that's going to see a lot of air hitting it and it's just going to lift up lift lift up like a kite basically yeah Yeah. it's very unstable um in this scenario it's like a point of no return yeah so this is to try and keep the vehicle from starting to lift off yeah um and so basically big slab 
on the side of the vehicle, you're going to have a high pressure buildup on it as it's going sideways, uh, seeing the air. And that high pressure is going to push down on the car. And it's also going to reduce the effects of the air accelerating over the fenders, yep. over the top surfaces. Um, so basically, it's a twin effect of um, of increasing the pressure on top of the vehicle. Yeah, so it kind of acts in a similar way to how the, the front-facing area does. You end up with this ram of uh, bodywork hitting the air, which forms a high pressure, which then pushes down on the bodywork. Whereas if you didn't have that there, the the curvature of the, the wheel wells uh, over the side of the car and the shape of the car itself kind of acts as an aerofoil, which creates low pressure above it. So yeah, as you said, it's kind yeah. of a double whammy. Yeah, and, and the idea is, you know, if you can keep the tyres on the ground, <laughs> then you're going to have a better day at slowing the car down before it hits something. Yeah. Um, Mark Genet, unfortunately, couldn't slow down. And luckily, he had a closed cockpit car that was really strong because it broke the concrete wall. Yeah, so this is back in 2008. This was before the shark fin was mandated. Um, Mark Genet had a massive accident at the Le Mans test day coming out of the Porsche curves. He basically, uh, coming out of Porsche 3, so the right-hander is Porsche 1, and then the first left-hander 2, and then coming out of Porsche 3, the second left-hander, the cars started to swap on him, and he's... My recollection of the accident is he's tried to catch it, the cars swapped on him again, gotten sideways, and then kind of lifted up from the bottom up. So the the leading edge of the car is lifted, the bottom's come through because it acted like a kite, and then it's flipped into the barrier on the outside uh, where... Yeah, where where we saw, I think it was Mark. No, sorry, um, Loic Duval have an accident a few years later as well. Uh, if you haven't seen that accident, by the way, it is a part of the Truth and Twenty Four documentary. If you even if you type into YouTube Mark Janay two thousand and eight Le Mans test day, it'll probably come up. It is a terrifying accident um, because the car gets airborne very early, very quickly, and at very high speeds, uh, and it only stopped thanks to a concrete wall. Um, so very terrifying, and that's the sort of accident that this the shark fin is trying to prevent. Can it was you think a relatively of... standard spin beforehand. Yeah, you know? exactly. But that's that's the kind of power of aerodynamics that we've gotten to. It's gotten to the point where a, a relatively standard spin in a, in a road car or a normal uh, race car, mm-hmm. like a GT car, has then been able to lift a, a prototype. And remember, the prototypes aren't actually that heavy. They're only about 900 kilos, right? That's, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's been able to lift a 900-kilo car off the ground at astronomical speeds for, for racing cars. Um, and I think the best example I can give of the shark fin performing its duty correctly is actually the uh, 2011... Uh, very famous, uh, uh, what's the name I'm looking for? Alan McNish. Uh, Alan McNish crashed in the early parts of the 2011 race where the car went fully sideways across the gravel trap, but didn't flip, uh, until it hit the wall. And then at that point you can't really do much with aerodynamics. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that sort of shows the difference between having a, a, a shark fin as part of the bodywork versus not. Can you think of any other examples? Not really, because they're, if they work well, then it's kind of unremarkable. 
and like mm. not memorable. Yeah, it's just a spin. That's a good point, actually. I, I the only other other one I can think of is maybe when Brandon Hartley had that crash at Silverstone with the, the golf car and kind of tipped it up on its side, but then it righted itself. But even then, it yeah, as you said, it's kind of unremarkable. Yeah, yeah. Um, if it's working well, then you won't notice it. Oh, yeah, funny how often that is true. <laughs> so, moving further back, uh, the we've got two more parts of the bodywork to talk about. The first one is probably the most obvious. It's the rear wing. So, the rear wing is, of course, that big aerofoil at the back of the car that's about as tall as the car and is just there entirely for aerodynamics. Like that's That's its entire point. And obviously it's there to generate downforce. Uh, a lot of the, the downforce at the rear of the car helps with rear grip as well. So that will help with acceleration. We've already mentioned drag cars, uh, as, as a part of uh, that. So getting all that force on the back of, back of the car actually helps push the tires in, which gives them more grip, which allows them to accelerate. Um, I'm guessing taking that balance uh we we talked about the center of pressure so you want to make sure that that, that's balanced in a in a really effective way but what other parts of the rear wing are important to consider when you're building a a prototype car so its position is really important and how this interacts with the rest of the car yeah so the if you think of a a normal wing on its own you're going to have in a a motorsport context rather than an airplane context you're going to have the higher speed low pressure air underneath and then the higher pressure on top and you can use this lower pressure to pull air out of the diffuser um okay. to help if the diffuser work better you're kind of taking the load off the diffuser um exit hmm. uh, or some of the load off um and so this is why with unrestricted wing positions with like the Porsche tribute yep. 919 Evo the rear wing was lower and further back, okay, over, yeah. hanging over the diffuser exit. And you see loads of Group C cars as well mm. having like a low down wing sitting above the diffuser outlet. Yeah. So it's kind of working with the diffuser. Um, so it's, so it's like a, a another deck on the diffuser then. <laughs> sort of, yeah. yeah. And um, also, if you have um, the rear wing rearwards, you can then it has more of a lever arm effect sort of thing okay um so for the you can basically get a moment about the uh, acting on the car yep and you can potentially get away with having a lower wing angle because it's got more of a an effect lever yeah. arm acting yep. on the car so and then you can have lower drag yep so so by lever arm you're you're saying that because the position of the rear wing relative to the car is fixed um as you push back on the rear wing it's having more of an effect on the the car the further back it is because it's it's the effort is in a more efficient place is that the, the am i using the yeah, correct so terminology yeah you're you're moving the you're moving the center of pressure rearwards yeah for less wing angle sort of thing yeah uh, and therefore less drag and then if you think of it like the downforce is acting from the center of pressure just like center of mass the mass would act through the center of yeah, mass yeah. downwards your center of pressure is moving backwards so then 
Yes. As, as I'm or trying to think can... about this, I'm, I'm thinking about like a lever, but all I'm thinking is like you push on the rear wing, the front comes up. And I'm like, wait, that's not right. That's that's. So then you you then balance that out by yeah. having less wing angle and therefore less drag. So you can get a smaller wing further backwards, but maintain the same balance. Ah, oh, yeah. And then, of course, as you've got a smaller wing that's further backwards, it means you have less drag. Yep. Yes, we did it. <laughs> we can design a prototype. <laughs> yeah. So this is why you see like, the max uh, length of the car, the rear wing is going to be butting up against that max length position. Yeah. yeah. So you want it as far back as possible. Yeah. I'm actually just having a quick look again at por- the Porsche 919. I noticed that on the uh, the racing model, it's literally in the same plane as the rear of the car, and it's actually lower than the cockpit. Is is that something that you would cons- like? Why would why would you make that decision? Is that to try and double down the diffuser, or is there some aero concern from the ca- the air coming around the cockpit that you want to maximize? So yeah, it works in tandem with the diffuser. Yeah, but then also you've got the efficiency of the wing in terms of it seeing clean, nice airflow. Yeah, okay. Um, so you've got a kind of fight between having it high up. So it's nice, clean airflow to having it low down. So it's working with the diffuser. Mm. So you're kind of sacrificing maybe wing performance on its own by having it lower down, but then you're making gains elsewhere yeah. by having it working with the diffuser. Sort oh, of thing. interesting. So yeah, because I'm I, again looking at pictures of the Porsche 919 and in all of them, even in the, the Tribute model, I'm noticing that it's at least above the sort of uh, gradient... Um, of say the wheel arches and the side pods, so it's it's a, a, enough above that to uh to get into enough clean air to be effective. Oh, what about what about the the end plates? Now this is something I've always been fascinated by. What? How do you uh like how do you manage connecting to the wing of the car? Do the end plates have any sort of difference? Is there any particular best way to connect the air uh, the the wing to the car, or is it just sort of whatever works best for this particular um application? Is there is there like a a, a hidden formula of doing this, or is it just kind of wing it until something works? Ha, see, wing it. <laughs> I think the best way to do it is um band because oh. Toyota did it recently, or not so recently anymore, actually, where they actually had the rear wing hinged inside the end plate so it could change angle of attack with speed. Ah, yes. Um, and it was noticeable with the the angle of the wing scratching the inside of the end plate. Ah, trippy. As it changed angle of attack. Yep, um, yep. And they managed to get away with it until Le Mans, um, where after Le Mans, it got banned. Yep. And that was really interesting because it also was integrated to the ramp angle of the diffuser. So the diffuser would also shallow off at speed. Ooh. So it could get really low drag, high speed on the Molsan. But that we'll come is, on to that stuff later. That is outstanding. Outstanding shithousery. <laughs> yeah, the whole the whole rear end of the car was hinged sort of thing. So it, it, it would go up or down and then that would then link to the wing angle so it was all this kind of kinematic um subsystem working together um with hinges and yeah it's super cool there's a slow-mo video where was it maybe on molsan's corner there's like a slow-mo video or a gif going over some bumps on some curbing and you can then see the whole rear end of the car flexing as it vibrates over the bumps oh that is terrifying (laughs) 
but so, yeah the uh, back to end plates um the you you want to preserve the low pressure under the wing so this yeah. acts as a physical barrier okay for yeah. the high pressure on top spilling over to underneath so you see these massive vortices spilling out behind a car if it's got like an engine failure and you see the smoke and you yeah. see the massive trailing vortices it shows how much energy there is in this rear wings that you're trying to fight against sort of thing and yeah there are little things you can do with adding gurneys to end plates to help with the low pressure underneath the wing but that's pretty difficult to explain um and uh it's also a uh an area rearwards a rearwards area that just like a shark fin that can yep. add a little bit of extra stability if you have it as as big as it can be yeah so so if you were able to extend the rear end plates beyond the rear wing if there was some provision in the rules that said your rear wing must be in line with the rear plane of the car but your end plates can extend 20 mil 30 mil 50 mil beyond that would teams choose to do that because to me intuitively to me that sounds like you're creating a more sealed area behind which prevents the vortex creation until further beyond the low pressure area is that correct i think so yeah nice. i'd like to do a, a bit of a study um actually yeah because I, I haven't seen that data before okay oh i've, I've given you a question to find out the answer to because i noticed that in for example um the 919 hybrid tribute the the entire rear area like the rear wing of the car is further back but they've still got it so that the rear wing the actual aerofoil is flush with the end plates so i wonder yeah i wonder if that would have any effect if at all and if that's the correct effect or not so uh, have i given you a question that stumped you i feel like this is a win for me <laughs> yeah i'm just trying to wonder if i've seen a, any reports on that kind of stuff and how the vortex you might be able to promote attachment on the underside of the wing so you kind of want the vortex to be near yeah okay yeah by the way if you're listening and you're completely lost i'm i'm sorry but this is just my mind finding uh, attaching itself to something and wanting to find it out so i'm really really sorry uh if you're completely lost um but I, I'm really interested in this, so yeah, I guess I guess you knew what you were getting into. Uh, so anyway, so so in, in relative terms, how much uh, downforce would you say the rear wing generates versus the front splitter? Like, is there a, a, a do you try to make them equal, or is it more of a no matter what, you're always going to be sort of rear balanced unless you take heaps of it out? Well, it's a it's a large part. It's a large downforce generating device, um, so it's going to create a nice chunky amount of downforce but as it always comes down to at the end of the day is balance yeah okay um balance front to rear so it's easy to make a massive front uh, massive rear wing absolutely easy to make a it's cheap to make a massive rear wing but if the balance is all wrong then at the end of the day you're going to have a slower car yeah much slower car cool fair enough Okay, so we get it to the last part of the the car in terms of aerodynamics. We're going to talk about the diffuser. Now, for those who don't know what a diffuser is, it what it is is it's the area underneath the rear of the car which has the like sort of tuning vanes and stuff like that. It's it's kind of the rear the bottom the bottom of the car as it extends out from the wheels. So, in recent times in the GTE regulations, they actually 
allowed this area, the diffuser, to be much larger, which is why we've seen, like, we like to joke that the Aston Martin has a tea tray diffuser. It's so big you could, you know, serve a cup of tea on it. Um, and uh, also a reason why Porsche moved their engine more forward in the car to be able to exploit that underside area. Um, so on a prototype, it's very much a, a complex mess of tuning vanes and aerodynamic bits and pieces but what's the logic of having this diffuser extending out from the underside of the car so what you have is you have a, an angled uh, if you look side on you're going to have a, a slice through the center line of the car you're going to have an angle a ramp angled panel underneath the car and if possible what you should have upstream a completely flat floor okay to exploit the most out of this um and so what this is going to do is it's going to be just like the sand timer analogy again you're going to have that angle up upwards that expansion and what that's going to do is that's going to have the contraction under the car you're going to have high speed air under the car really high speed high it's going to speed up the air faster than the free stream and that's going to then have the low pressure and if you have that low pressure if you have that proximity to the ground all the way under the car, you can then have that low pressure acting under the the majority of the car. And that's a massive surface area all right. that can suck the car down to the ground. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, it's about speeding up the airflow under the whole car. Originally, this was done with having like a massive wing shape. Um, but yeah. now you only have... Um, a box at the back of the car to work with. And so this is why we see a rake angle, which is pitching the nose down and the rear of the car up ah, with, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. with the right heights. Um, so then you can use the whole flat floor as part of the ramp angle. Nice. So then you're using the whole length of the flat floor to energize the whole floor sort yep. of thing. So so what you're basically doing is with the flat floor and the sort of expansion box that the diffuser is, so it's actually turning the entire underside of the car into an aero generating piece of machinery. Uh, it's basically turning the entire car into a wing. Yeah, yeah. And and it's not the the most optimal layout, but with the with the confines of the regulations is the best that nice. can be done sort of thing. Yeah, so so um, this is this is where the term ground effect comes in, right? This is the yeah, tradi- so this is the traditional ground effect. Yeah, so it's it's then coming also again like I mentioned with the splitter is the proximity to the ground. You can then speed up this air with the sort of funneling effect. So you get a really 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 fast air under the car. Yeah. With the proximity to the ground. So if you have the rake ang- angle where you've got this kind of splitter close to the ground or like a tea tray underneath like in f1 then you can have you can bring that contraction forwards and energize the flow further forwards and you're bringing the balance further forwards as well oh yeah um, which can work it then with having a bigger rear wing so then you 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 if you're bringing the the balance forwards of the underfloor then you can then get away with a bigger rear wing nice so it's all it's all kind of working with each other by moving the the center pressure around that's really fascinating actually so so the long and the short of how the diffuser works is uh 
low pressure, fast air, lots of downforce, high pressure, slow, uh, slow air, higher pressure, less downforce. So as the air funnels out underneath and expands, it's slowing down and creating a high pressure area. So the faster you can accelerate the air out and the more efficiently you can expand it, the better the floor of the car acts as an aero creating device as an aerofoil. Yeah, so what you've got is the the expansion behind the vehicle is sort of speeding up and pulling the air uh, underneath the vehicle. So this comes way, way back to the raised splitter bit. So if you can raise the splitter and help funnel the air and speed it up under the car, then you're taking the load off the ramp at the back. Ah. Or you can effectively speed up the air more for the same ramp angle at the back. If, If you look at a lot of diffusers in like crazy home modified cars a lot of them are actually not going to work because the ramp angle is really sensitive if you have like a bent plate um to a flat floor generally it's around seven degrees is what you can get away with otherwise the flow starts separating and you lose the effectiveness of the expansion okay so so by separating you mean you go from like i'm going to use physics terms here so you go from laminar flow to turbulent flow yeah, so the yep. flow uh, is normally attached to the surface, yep. and you have this consistent acceleration or, or this consistent difference in speed as you get close to the wall. It's it's going to be a nice consistent relationship between proximity to the wall and the now by consistent I don't mean linear, but yep. um and um but predictable. Yeah, predictable. And then when you get if you trip the airflow by having to or or you just it's physically unable to maintain attached, then you're going to have a turbulent boundary yeah. layer and you're going to lose this effectiveness. Yeah. So, and so I, the- I guess, I guess it's like having water going down a stream and flowing very perfectly and very predictably and very precisely, or so, sorry, more like water rushing down a pipe. We'll do that mm-hmm, one. Yeah. And then having the pipe get to a point where it's too big and then the water starts becoming turbulent and like you have a bend in the pipe oh yeah a bend is even better so 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 you end up not having that nice consistent flow and it starts creating eddy currents and turbulence like like white water rafting except without the rafting yeah oh nice and an interesting thing with the expansion like with the um sand timer again you're increasing the um you're increasing the pressure and Behind the vehicle, you're going to have a big wake yep. of low pressure, and the low pressure is pulling the car backwards. Yeah. So you want to increase this wake pressure, and so what this does is it adds if it, it's it's quite efficient because you're increasing the wake pressure, you're decreasing the wake size, and you're then reducing the drag of the vehicle. So if yep. you've got an efficient, if you've got an effective rather, if you've got an effective diffuser, you can reduce the drag your vehicle nice so you see like hyper milers and things like that yeah okay create diffusers not for downforce but for drag reduction ah yeah that's really interesting yeah because of course as as you punch a hole in the air you're going to create a vacuum behind you and then that vacuum as a as it's a vacuum and you know physics hates vacuums it's going to want to be filled so that actually acts as a pull back on the vehicle oh nice yeah i didn't think about that in a fuel consumption sort of way that's really interesting. 
So, so yeah, once you get to the end of the car, you have all this turbulent air and all this turbulent wake, but it's better than having, yeah, nothing at the end. Nice. Nice. Okay. Cool. So, so we've gotten to the end of the car. How, how do we, where do we go from here? <laughs> so, so we've got, we, we've got, uh, aerod- aerodynamic considerations at the front, uh, cooling through the middle and then the, the wing and the diffuser that all create downforce and create pressure systems and all that sort of stuff. Um, in, when, when you get to this turbulent wake at the, at the back of the car, how does that affect trailing cars? Because you often hear, especially in F1 nowadays, that you can't follow a car ahead too closely because of the turbulent air. So how does that turbulent air affect a following car? Yeah, so if you have um, a car following in a turbulent wake, it's going to have unstable eddies hitting the car compared to having nice, clean, more yep. laminate airflow hitting the car so if you've got something really complex with lots of vortex generators and stuff those aren't going to be working as expected generally one and, would and that's because assume, especially little ones yeah and that and that's because you can't you, you already have these complex vortex vortexes hitting the car so it means that you're not getting the predictable airflow that you want in which these systems have been designed in yeah so if you if you have lower downforce then you're going to be scrubbing the tires more. So you're oh, going to yeah. have increased tire wear as they're not kind of sticking to the ground. They're s- like sliding across and scraping across the tarmac yep. sort of thing is the easiest way to describe it. And so you're going to wear your tires out faster. They might overheat because of this as well, this uh, different friction. Um, your cooling systems are going to be more critical because the car in front is generating heat itself and chucking out uh, the heat behind the car yep that your coolers are ingesting um so there's less energy able to be removed from the radiators and then we also mentioned the with the lack of downforce on the front of the car the propensity for it to maybe lift off uh, as you go over a crest <laughs> yeah we did so, mention that yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so it's it's very difficult to follow another car if you have a sensitive um sensitive aerodynamic vehicle this Mm. is you know perfectly summed up in f1 with lots of arguments over that because these cars are so sensitive and optimized for qualifying it's very difficult to pass but then you've also got the the positive of following another car is you have a lower drag because they're punching a hole in the air and you're then driving through the low pressure bubble. Yeah. So if you're following another vehicle, there's potential for even we see it in the commercial like haulage world in trucks. Uh, it's called convoying. Yeah. So if you have a, a lorry, then following another lorry, lorry what a British word. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <it> can, <laughs> <laughs> you can then. Um, follow really closely and save fuel from the vehicle behind yep. and actually save fuel of the car in front as well. Yeah, so that was the question I was going to ask, uh, follow up with. So does having the car in that low pressure system behind you end up disrupting that low pressure system enough to prevent it sucking the car in front back? And you're suggesting that it is that it does. Um, I don't know the relationship actually with diffuser performance, if it compromises the car in front as well 
but um, ah. yeah, that would be interesting to see if. But this is, is you know, if they're really, really, really close. Yeah, but purely yeah. from a from a speed standpoint, the car, the trailing car, is going to have less fluid to ram into, less air, to, less air to pass through, less air molecules to pass through, and so it should be experiencing less drag. Is that the 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 long and the short of how that slipstreaming works? Yeah, that's a quick way of describing it. Yeah. Nice, nice and easy. Um, what about the relationship of surface area in these aerofoils, um, and the the way that they create downforce? I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here and say bigger surface area means more downforce. Is it as simple as that? Well, it depends what what pressure is so, acting upon that. Surface. So what you're saying so, is yeah. no. <laughs> Maybe it depends. <laughs> brilliant okay well, well okay let's let's throw out some scenarios at you then i say that i want to have uh say i'm at le mans and i want to be as fast as i can down the mulsan straight uh how would you go about setting up some of these aero components what considerations would you make in order to be fast down the Mulsanne straight and remembering that Le Mans doesn't actually have that many high downforce corners I mean the Porsche curves being the obvious exception but how would you go about uh setting up a prototype or designing a body kit for a prototype that would be most efficient at Le Mans um I would make sure that the floor so I'd start off I think with the floor make sure that that's working optimally because then you can then that's the most efficient way of generating downforce on the car generally and efficiency, I'm talking the relationship between lift or downforce yep. to drag. So okay. L over D. Um, and so you've got the, the benefits versus the penalty. Because um, the floor... The penalty uh, at this is top speed yep. getting the, lower because of the drag. Because the floor, it's not getting rammed by that air. It's not experiencing friction in the same way that the front aerofoil does, right? So if you can maximize that floor area and maximize that floor fi- uh, efficiency, you're doing that without any increase in drag or minimal increase in drag, right? Yeah, it's 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 like coming together with the what we were saying with the, the interaction with the wake of the vehicle yeah. and um, that sort of thing. So you, you can generate a lot of downforce from it because of it being a big area. Oh, also, yeah. it's reducing the drag of the vehicle so that's the way that it's more efficient um versus other options yeah um and so yeah i'd start off with the floor and then it would come down to how how i can best balance the front and the rear of the car do i you know which what's the smallest wing i can get away with to get the desired downforce level to make sure that we can get through the porsche curves we can get through the first chicane, we can get through Tetra Rouge with a lot of speed. Once I have that, then once I've matched that downforce level with the desired balance as close to the centre of the car as possible, then I'm happy. I but, can then yeah. have a slight adjustments in terms of maybe size of dive plane, wing angle. These are adjustable. So, yeah. That's cool. how I would do it. Okay, I'm gonna ask you a really difficult question here, and I hope that it I hope that it throws you off a little bit, but not enough. I want you to take a stab at this. The P2 regulations at the moment, we have three plus one, we'll say three plus one uh designated chassis. The Dallara experiences high speed porpoising. Now, can yep. you 
it's, so porpoising is the, the car basically shakes at high speed; it vibrates, um, and that's its nose is is its, it's front end is bouncing up and yeah. down, sort of things. So yeah, it's not lifting off the ground like you have these weird low riders in America, whatever. It's, but it's, it's, um, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's actually it's like a kind of vibration shuddering up and down. Yeah. So, yeah. why does that happen? Can you explain to me why that happens? Um. So what I'm thinking is, it's um a consistency of the front end devices, so the front diffuser and the splitter. So the maybe the underside is not consistently generating downforce steadily over time the trouble is when it starts happening it can get worse because you have the as it gets closer to the ground it then pulls more and that makes it dive closer to the ground which then pulls more and then you get too close so then you break the downforce and then it goes back up but then you've also got the interaction with the suspension systems okay yep and how that's then resonating with the it's not quite resonating but you you then have a fight with the damping system yeah which are for these vibrations um so it's it's like an instability of downforce over time yeah so so the way that that downforce as it gets closer it it, it, am i right in saying it's like hitting the rev limiter in a car so you get to the max you push towards the maximum it hits a limit and then it drops away and you drop a bit further and then it goes back up to that maximum. So you're kind of bouncing against the rev limit. But in this case, it's you're bouncing against the ground or the Not limit of downforce. Bouncing against the ground, but, but yeah, the, you're, you're bouncing against the, the, the limit of ground ground effect sort of thing. Yeah, oh, that's cool. That's maybe an idea, um, but I haven't uh, seen in any proper studies on it. Now you know what I'm going to investigate now. Oh, after this, I'm going to try and find a study on aerodynamic porpoising. <laughs> cool. Now, uh, let's step away from Le Mans and say, hey, if I want to go race at Silverstone, um, which has a lot more high downforce corner, you know, the entire first section up until the the um, the inner loop is high downforce corners. You've got the Maggots Beckett's Chapel and you've got, uh, I think, even Stowe Brooklyn's Corner now. Long. Bro- uh, Brooklyn's is a long 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 right-hander yeah right? yeah right? so i and think so yeah stoke corner long there's a lot of high energy braking yeah which downforce helps with yeah but yeah so so it's definitely much more a downforce dependent track what changes would you make in terms of like front splitter area rear wing uh that sort of stuff to translate your car from a Le Mans spec, like we've just seen at the last round of the championship, to a Silverstone spec, which we're going to at the next round of the championship. So, unfortunately, the splitter's pretty fixed. Okay. It's probably going the max dimensions of the car. Yeah. So, that's out of the question, unfortunately. So, generally, what we've got to work with is either the upper bodywork to make the splitter to change the way that the splitter works so you're yep. kind of effectively making it longer by retreating the bodywork backwards um oh okay yep so then there's more area that the the high pressure in front of the car can push down on um despite the leading edge not actually moving an inch then it comes down to again maintaining balance with bigger smaller rear wing um in this case bigger 
and some more downforce generating devices at the front like dive planes ah interesting cool so i i find it very fascinating that you talked about the splitters maximum dimensions being fixed so i i've just gone and found um pictures of the br1 delara uh, which I think had the most drastic difference between high downforce kit and low downforce kit in last year's WEC. And now that you said that, I am actually noticing that in their high downforce, sorry, their low downforce spec, that upper foil that you talked about, so the the area that I've been colloquially calling the bonnet, is actually extended all the way over to the very front lip of the splitter, whereas in their high downforce spec, they've got the 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 nose, the main nose at that level, but they've actually retreated the uh, the rest of the plane further back. It it looks like a good I don't know maybe thirty centimeters almost. It's actually quite drastic. So so is that the sort of would that give you that larger surface area over the front of the splitter in that case? Yeah, and it's also a bit of another can of worms, I think, with um, what's called aspect ratio. So it's kind of, if you imagine a, a wing, uh, cut, a cut through a wing, an airfoil, you've got a relationship between its length and its thickness. So if you increase its length, then you potentially find another set of benefits sort of thing. Okay. So for the high speed, you might want to then increase the length of your nose forwards or something. And this can also come into effect with the the fenders extending forwards. So, ah, uh, you you just wrinkled my brain. <laughs> okay, so what you're saying basically now that we've got to the end of this all, what you're saying is that aerodynamics is complicated and we should study it and before we talk enough. about it. Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, I'm guessing at this point, unless you're Adrian Newey, you don't know enough. Well, I've learned plenty today. I thought I had a pretty decent grasping of aerodynamics, but now that I know that it's impossible, so I'm just going to give up and spend the rest of my life as a, a chemist instead. <laughs> um, how do you feel that went? Um, yeah, good. Like, I'm not an expert. I just want to, you know, improve my communication of these sorts of concepts and hopefully, yeah, be able to talk about stem sort of principles uh, easier if i can communicate clearer um, and more efficiently that that would make me better in my day job sort of thing uh, so what you're saying is you've done this for, in, what you're saying is you've done this entirely for selfish reasons yes yeah um <laughs> but no there there, there is a, a another reason that it's like um when i was a kid um at school there was a guy um who came visited my school when he was when I was well, sixteen or something, and he happened to be Lewis Hamilton's race engineer. Oh wow! And so he brought in like a um, big um, box, car, a cardboard box full of carbon bits and titanium bits, and you know, loads of components. And it was something that was really interesting to me and kind of got me into engineering. So hopefully, and the, and the funny thing about that is he still works um in the same building that i now work in. Um, so nice kind of that's cool gone in full circle um that is really cool actually yeah and yeah so if hopefully i'll maybe in future 
do that sort of thing and if i yeah can get youngsters involved in engineering or even like appreciate how cool these things are then um i think that would be a success nice so hey you never know maybe in 10 years one of the listeners to this podcast might be working for oliver travels a true of us yeah leave it yeah I got there around the end. So thank you very much for listening. Hopefully you learned something. Uh, hopefully you didn't get lost. And if you did get lost and you want to see more about how more specific aero stuff can work, uh, check out that YouTube channel that Ollie mentioned. What was that one again? Uh, Kyle Engineers. Kyle Engineers. Um, and if you want to see more about how each of these aero packages for the P1 cars are changing uh, event on event, check out Ollie's blog. It's called Sports Car Engineering, and uh, he does a little bit of a breakdown on the changes in uh, the aero packages event on event, as well as uh, some al- analysis on BOP data and amateur driver ratings. Uh, well, amateur driver times and... If- efficiency i've said efficiency way too much today um what's the word i'm looking for effectiveness i guess or performance there you go that's the one that'll do yeah uh you're currently working on this year's le mans is that correct yeah and i do talk about ratings uh, of amateurs so that is a part of it um and you know they're fia silver bronze whatever they are and that should be round the corner it has taken ages (laughs) It's on the way. These sort of things always do. You should definitely check that out because it is, for those data hungry, it is an absolute mm, treasure trove. That's the words I was looking for. And on a related note, if you have experience in a field related to motorsport and you want to have a go at doing one of these uh, and having me ask you a bunch of questions and seeing if you can explain some of these very complicated uh, technical components in race cars uh, in this sort of fashion, uh, let me know. Um, I'm more than happy to give people an opportunity to do this and also learn an absolute heap about the sort of stuff that makes the motorsport world that we love tick over. Um, so yeah, if, you, if you'd like to, either get in touch with me on Twitter or through Reddit. Uh, and yeah, it would be great to have some more of these. Yeah. And on that note, I think we're done. Thank you very much, Oliver. Thanks for having me. No problems. And thank you very much for listening. We'll see you again soon. Hopefully, fingers crossed. I've said that like a million billion times uh, in recent episodes. But we'll see you again soon with some new content. uh, Hopefully relating to the ELMS and IMSA action of the last three months. I'm Michael Zolivari. Peace out.